Welcome to Falling for Jesus. I'm Isabel. Every week at Falling for Jesus, we will be diving into a chapter of Scripture and breaking down the Bible to learn more of our God and falling in love with Jesus. For points of reference, I will be reading the New Living Translation version of the Bible. Join me in using your Bible or click to the YouTube link where the podcast will be posted with follow-along text to read the word as we go along. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Thank you, Lord, for another day to be able to celebrate your word and to dive into what you have to teach us today. Lord, guide us in this special episode as we go ahead and want to learn more from you, Jesus, learn who you are and what it is you did for us on that cross and how you have saved us with your blood and your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you, Lord, for always being the guiding hand that propels us to keep on going in this life. And Lord, I pray, may you keep enlightening us every day and may you keep renewing the desire to seek you in all that we do and to praise you with everything that we are. And let's pray the prayer Jesus taught us to our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to a new episode on Falling for Jesus. This is a very, very special episode on this day we are going to be talking about lent what is lent what is holy week what does easter mean what did jesus do on the cross for us and who is jesus i mean he's the person the podcast is named after and we're going to dive in deeply this week on him and his ministry and it's gonna go like this Lent is a 40-day season of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that begins on Ash Wednesday and ends at sundown on Holy Thursday. It's a period of preparation to celebrate the Lord's resurrection at Easter. During Lent, we seek the Lord in prayer by reading sacred scripture, we serve by giving alms, and we practice self-control through fasting. We are called not only to abstain from luxuries during Lent, but to a true inner conversion of heart as we seek to follow Christ's will more faithfully in our lives. We recall the waters of baptism in which we were also baptized into Christ's death, died to sin and evil, and began new life in Christ. Many know of the tradition of abstaining from Lent and um, in the way that on Fridays, you know, we choose to eat fish instead of eating meat on Fridays during Lent, but we are also called to practice self-discipline and fast in other ways throughout the season. To contemplate the meaning and origins of the Lenten fasting tradition in this reflection. In addition, the giving of alms is in one way to share God's gifts, not only through the 
through the distribution of money, but through the sharing of our time and our talents. Now, why 40 days? 40 is a significant number in the Bible. In Genesis, the flood which destroyed the earth was brought about by 40 days and nights of rain. The Hebrews spent 40 years in the wilderness before reaching the land promised to them by God. Moses fasted for 40 days before receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness in preparation for his ministry. It is alluded that Jesus' time in the wilderness is the key event for the duration of our Lenten time. 40 days is a really important number in the Bible because it shows us um, through 40 days, I remember sitting at Mass and a priest saying once that 40 days signifies change. In 40 days, something always happened and something always changed in the Bible. Now, why is this celebration called Lent? Why is this season called Lent? Lent is an old English word meaning lengthening. Lent is observed in spring and when the days begin to get longer. Now, you may see at Mass a lot of priests donning on the color purple. Purple is a symbolic color used in some churches throughout Lent for drapes and altar frontals as well. And purple is used for two reasons. Firstly, because it is associated with mourning and so it anticipates the pain and suffering of the crucifixion and secondly because purple is the color associated with royalty and celebrates Christ's resurrection and sovereignty now Lent begins with Ash Wednesday at Ash Wednesday in mass we receive ashes on our foreheads in the form of a cross so where do these ashes come from the church has long used ashes as an outward sign of grief a mark of humility mourning penance and morality the Old Testament is filled with stories describing the use of ashes in such a manner. In the book of Job, Job repented before God. Therefore, I disown what I have said and repent in dust and ashes. That's Job 42, 6. Then Daniel, as well, turned to the Lord God to seek help in prayer and petition with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. That's Daniel 9, chapter 9, verse 3. And then Jonah preached conversion and repentance to the people of Nineveh. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid a Aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. That's Jonah chapter 3, verse 6. And the Maccabees army prepared for battle. And it says that day they fasted and wore sackcloth, they sprinkled ashes on their heads and tore their garments. That is 1 Maccabees ver chapter 3, verse 47. So ashes were imposed on the early catechumens when they began their preparation time for baptism. Confessed sinners of that era were also marked with ashes as a part of the public penitential process. The significance of the ashes is that death comes to everyone. Number two, they must repent and turn away from sin. They must change themselves for the better. That God made the first human being by breathing life into dust and without God, human beings are nothing more than dust and ashes. So when we go to Mass on Ash Wednesday, which many of us have probably attended already, and receive the blessed ashes on our forehead, we are we are repeating a somber, pious act that Catholics have been undergoing for over 1,500 years. Like all of those before us, we are unhesitatingly embracing this invitation to sanctity and this time to turn away from sin. We are part of that great cloud of witnesses who through all the ages have donned the ashes, publicly acknowledging that we are Christians, Christians who have seen, sinned and seek to repent. We acknowledge that we are dust and to dust we shall return. Now, we have been 
participating in this Lenten season, those 40 days have already come up. And this is Holy Week. So it is currently March 31st. I will be producing this episode on Thursday, March 32nd, which is going to be Holy Thursday. So this is the week of Holy Week, and it is one of the most important weeks of the year. Holy Week lets us know that the Lenten season is coming to a close. Holy Week begins on Palm Sunday and ends with Easter Sunday. And during this one week, many biblical prophecies were fulfilled. Jesus came to earth to save humanity by dying on the cross on Good Friday and resurrecting on Easter Sunday. By enduring and defeating death sacrificially for us, he swung open the gates of heaven, making a way for our sin to be forgiven and usher us into the presence of God. You can find that in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And due to our sinful nature as a result of Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden, like we read in Genesis um, in the chapters previous before in the podcast, it is impossible for us to be good enough to be in the presence of God and be forgiven for our sins. So Jesus died to make the way for our salvation. And the Old Testament laws offered many sacrifices to God, but Jesus was a perfect atoning sacrifice once and for all to connect us to God the Father. Now let's read Romans chapter 3 verses 21 to 31. And the word says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him, without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus at the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we'd have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course, there is only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Now let's jump to Romans chapter 2 verses 13 to 16. The word says, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is a message I proclaim that the day is coming when God through Christ Jesus will judge everyone's secret life. In reading this here scripture, we are shown who Jesus is. Jesus came to show us the way to the Father. 
Jesus was able to see the true state of someone's hearts and reveal that to them in hope that they may repent and come to God. With Jesus enduring the cross out of his great love for us, Holy Week is a sacred opportunity to study the foundation of Christianity. Our God is not one of coincidence, yet every step toward the cross was intentional and every lesson laced with his personal love for all of us. In both of these readings, we see how um, it's being said that should we follow the law or should we follow our faith? Yet Jesus being our faith helps us follow the law because we were so lawless and we couldn't even follow what Moses had told us to follow. Jesus came down and showed us the steps in following the will of our father. So Jesus being the way and the truth proclaimed the word of God as how it was intended to be. For in ancient Judeo times, the law was proclaimed and hollered yet was not followed in action. Meaning as we just read, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it they demonstrate that god's law is written in their hearts for their own conscious and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right jesus till this day challenges us not only learning more from him as our redeemer but of picking up our crosses and honoring him not not only by what we say but in what we do Jesus was being awaited as a Messiah in ancient Judeo times and the community thought that the Messiah was going to come in a chariot with horses and trumpets falling from the sky. Yet Jesus came humbly in the womb of the Virgin Mary to join us, to teach us and to be our guide. He teaches us the power of a true king for it says in Luke chapter 22 verses 14 to 30. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me after supper he took another cup of wine and said this cup is a new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as sacrifice for you but here at this table still among us as a friend is a man who will betray me for it, it has been determined that the son of man must die but what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my father has granted me a kingdom I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel 
The word of the Lord. Amen. In this reading here, the Lord is revealing so many things to us. Number one, it is where we see Jesus institute the Eucharist and the wine. In Jesus revealing the Eucharist and the wine, which is his body and his blood, he asks us to continue to partake in that feast of receiving the Eucharist in remembrance of him. I will be leaving a video down below explaining the Eucharist in depth and its meaning and how through the act of transubstantiation, it becomes a living body of Christ. Within the reading, we are also revealed how Jesus knows he will be betrayed by one of the disciples. Spoiler alert, it's Judas the Iscariot. And lastly, we learn what Jesus said about kings. He teaches us that a king is not one who lords it over his people, meaning someone who boasts about it or abuses their power. Yet he teaches us that those who are the greatest among us should take the lowest rank and the leader shall be like a servant. The leader shall be like a servant. That is what Jesus did for us. He loved us and came to teach us in order for us to receive the promises he had promised us long ago. Looking around today at how we as a whole society have turned our backs from the Lord, I am saddened because we simply do not understand the magnificent and gravitas of what Jesus has done for us. In dying on the cross, Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. In his resurrection, he opened the way for us to be able to get to heaven and be with our heavenly father. In his grace, he has saved us, us who do not know how to love like he loves and continuously have sinned against him. Now, in our modern day and time, we see the cross as something holy. We see the cross as something to be revered and meditated on. And I'm not saying it's not so. It truly is. Yet, I wanted to give you the perspective of what the cross meant in ancient times. All those years ago, the cross was the most shameful place to die. It was where the lowest of the low were put to death. It was a death on a cross for all to see and all to ridicule the persons that garnered that fate. It was an act that involved a slow, agonizing, painful death and a death, like I said before, for everyone to see. So I am now going to read a longish reading. We will be going from Mark chapter 14 from verses 32 till the end and then Mark chapter 15 till the end. We will be reading the Passion of Christ, beginning from the point where Jesus is on the olive grove called Gethsemane. And it goes like this. Jesus prays in Gethsemane. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I'll go and pray pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to, point, to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation, for the spirit is willing but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. 
Jesus is betrayed and arrested. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. The traitor Judas had given them a pre-arranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Jesus asked them, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there among you teaching every day. But these things are happening to fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Then all his disciples deserted him and ran away. One young man falling behind was clothed only in a long linen shirt. When the mob tried to grab him, he slipped out of his shirt and ran away naked. Jesus before the council. They took Jesus to the high priest's home where the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and went right into the high priest's courtyard. There he sat with the guards, warming himself by the fire. Inside, the leading priest and the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. Finally, some men stood up and gave this false testimony. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another made without human hands. But even they didn't get their stories straight. Then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard the, his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. Then some of them began to spit at him, and they blindfolded him and beat him with their fists. Prophesy to us, they jeered, and the guards slapped him as they took him away. Peter denies Jesus. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, You were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. Just then, a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, This man is definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, You must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we are going to keep on reading to chapter Mark 15. Jesus' trial before Pilate. 
Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council met to discuss their next step. They bound Jesus, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, You have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer them? What about all these charges they are bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at the time was Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked, for he realized by now that the leading priest had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob rode even louder. Crucify him! So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers mock Jesus. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. The Crucifixion A passerby named S Simon, who was from Serene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine drugged with myrrh, but he refused it. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. The leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. The death of Jesus. At noon, Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. 
Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. The Burial of Jesus This all happened on Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea took a risk and went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Joseph was an honored member of the High Council, and he was awaiting for the Kingdom of God to come. Pilate couldn't believe that Jesus was already dead, so he called for the Roman officer and asked if he had died yet. The officer confirmed that Jesus was dead, so Pilate told Joseph he could have the body. Joseph bought a long sheet of linen cloth, then he took Jesus' body down from the cross, wrapped it in the cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where Jesus' body was laid. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Oof. Now. I wanted to read that to you all so that we can meditate on all the things our Lord went through. Jesus is betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He is then handed to the Pharisees and unjustly tried in a trial that found him guilty though he was blameless. The Pharisees wanted so hard to deny the truth of what Jesus was saying that they went through these lengths. To all of you, I invite you to meditate if you've ever been a Pharisee. I know I have. And not believing the truth of Jesus and judging my neighbor and when I have been ruled by my envy and mostly when I have trampled and not being obedient to God. We are the Pharisees because it is our sins that has led Jesus to that cross. Now we see Pilate realize that the Pharisees have roused up this simply because they were envious. They knew of the following Jesus had even though there was no Instagram back then, and how people were sincerely believing in him and desiring to be taught and know more of the good news Jesus had for us. For it says in John chapter 11, verses 47 to 50, it reads, Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this soon, everyone will believe in him then the roman army will come and destroy our temple our place our nation caiphas who was a high priest at that time also said you don't know what you're talking about you don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed the word of the lord amen so having an unfair trial and Barabbas being released, Jesus was led to be crucified. And in the moment of being led there, something to bring to our perspective is that most of the disciples had scattered and left Jesus. Jesus was being led to the cross and...
and the people that were there with him the people that stayed was john mary mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene and you can also find that in john chapter 19 verses 25 to 27 for it says standing near the cross were jesus's mother and his mother's sister mary the wife of clopas and mary magdalene when jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved he said to her dear woman here is your son and he said to this disciple here is your mother and from then on this disciple took her into his home the word of the lord amen thanks be to god so in painting this picture of his last moments on earth jesus being on the cross being made fun of with people saying ha if you're the son of god do it save yourself bring yourself down from there now through our human eyes seeing this we might think wow well he would have been justified to come down the cross with all the angels and ending it right there yet in this moment of great suffering he didn't condemn us yet he called out to god the father it is said in luke chapter 23 verse 34 jesus said father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing in his hour of agony jesus chose to choose us he chose to redeem and to save us he chose to let love win it is inspiring to see how much Jesus loved us, how he saved us, and how he went through those great lengths. In this season of time, something that leaves me in awe is what Jesus, one of the things that Jesus says on the cross. He says, Eloi, Eloi, lemak sabachthani, which means in English, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now think about this for a second. Jesus is the Son of God, God made man, and Jesus is on that cross saying these words, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus being God had lowered himself to the point of understanding our human nature. He was sinless and he had no fault, yet he understood temptation, he felt temptation, he felt loneliness, he felt when his friends had betrayed him, and even at this hour and this how much pain he's in, he still chooses to love us, he still chooses to be at our side. In this season, we also think of Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. Like, how could he do that? If Judas is a betrayer, what does that say of us? He was so close to Jesus. He was a disciple, yet he turned Jesus in. And we focus on that deed. And, and um, many times in, you know, throughout life, we're like, oh, Judas, you bad. You've been terrible. You've done this. You've done that. And likewise, many times when we see scandals or we feel betrayed, we want to behave as just judges and write how that person has wronged us yet let's look at jesus in this circumstance jesus broke bread for judas jesus washed judas's feet jesus ate with judas at the last supper and fed him even knowing that he was going to be his betrayer we need to look at jesus's kindness and how even knowing what was in judas's heart jesus still chased after him jesus still welcomed him to open his heart to god and that's how jesus is with us even when we sin and we betrayed him even when we have been a judas to jesus he renews this opportunity for us to be reconciled with him once more for us to learn about him and garner a way to understand the the love that our heavenly father has for us 
and for the his creation. So who is Jesus? After this long episode, if you've not realized, let's read Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11 so that it is revealed to us once more. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Jesus is God made man. He is the begotten Son of God who has been with God since the beginning and will be at the end. This podcast was named Falling for Jesus for a reason. I thought of my own testimony, my own walk with Christ, and realized what I wanted. I wanted every day to be a celebration and a day to rejoice and fall in love with Jesus once more. So I pray for you too, brothers and sisters, that may every day be a day to give honor and praise to our Lord Jesus Christ and to fall in love with him. I invite you in this holy week to really meditate on the cross and see the love Jesus had for each one of us even though we weren't worthy. I also invite you to say yes to Jesus in this holy week, yes to receiving him as our Lord, our Redeemer, and our Savior, and yes to feeling loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a song at the end of this podcast special. It's a song titled, I'll Just Say Yes. I hope you all enjoy it. I might not see it now 
just save the best for all who trust you and obey. There is an answer, no more delay. I'll just say yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, my life is yours. And there is peace when I say yes. I might not see it now, but you say the best for all who trust, trust you and Thank you for joining me this week on Falling for Jesus. Subscribe to the podcast, YouTube page, and follow us on Instagram to be updated for more. Links will be posted on the description box. God bless and keep on falling for Jesus.